most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, February 24th, 2022, the 400th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. I would imagine by the time you're hearing this, you have at least some knowledge of the fact that Russia has begun a full-scale assault on targets in Ukraine. Vladimir Putin has stated that the mission is to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. And it seems so far, at least, like he is targeting military facilities, weapons and ammo depots, airfields, ports, and potentially chemical weapons labs. We'll get to that in a little bit. But overall, this is a situation in flux. And you might notice that the podcast will go up later than I usually try to get the podcast up by. And part of that is because there's so much going on moment to moment and so much new information coming in. It's hard to understand it all. And that is one of the things that they refer to as the fog of war. We're getting all of this information in. We want to know what it all means. We want some certainty. We want some clarity. But that's not available. And preparing to record the show today, I kind of felt like I did on November 4th as the communists were in the process of stealing the 2020 election. And I felt the same way on January 6th of 2021 as events were unfolding in the U.S. Capitol. It's difficult to record a podcast episode while the subjects you want to discuss are developing and you don't have that uh, clarity or certainty or confidence about whether or not the things you're thinking and saying are ultimately going to turn out right. And so what my intention is, and this is always my intention, by the way, because certainty and clarity about everything that's happening in such a complex world is hard to come by no matter what it works in degrees and you can have relative degrees of certainty about certain subjects, particularly if these are subjects or trends that have been developing over time. But in the moment, it's very hard. And those are the times where it's important to remember that Immediate clarity and certainty are not always what's called for. 
You know, we don't need a world of only hot takes where people are just being ultra clever all the time. And I'm sure that's what's happening on Instagram and Twitter. And it's almost always the dumbest people in the world doing it. But sometimes events really are too big and they're happening too quickly to find that clarity and an answer to all of the questions you might have. And that's okay. We get clarity and certainty from the mainstream media all day, every day. And a lot of people find comfort in that. And that's why they gravitate toward that style of reporting. The downside is that they are always wrong and that they are usually intentionally wrong because their purpose is to create propaganda and shift the public understanding. They want the public sentiment on the side that will help them to achieve their goals and their goals have nothing to do with actually informing the public or what the needs of the public actually are. And so I would encourage everybody to reject the notion that clarity and certainty are even available right now. They're not. There may be people in the world who have clarity and certainty. I'm sure Vladimir Putin knows Vladimir Putin's intentions and the people around him likely do. But the idea that Joe Biden might or that Brianna Keeler on CNN might, well, that's ridiculous. Joe Biden doesn't even know where he is or what time it is. Joe Biden might not even realize he's an illegitimate president. He's clueless. And he just came out to speak to the nation about a half an hour before I began recording this. And the first sentence out of his mouth was that Vladimir Putin is attacking the people of Ukraine. Now, Vladimir Putin is attacking Ukraine, but he, is he attacking the people? He surely doesn't seem to be. He doesn't seem to be targeting areas where the people live or would be, which is not to say that innocent people aren't dying in this attack. They may well be. And to consider what's happening today, tragic does make sense on some level. But there are two different ways to think about what is the tragedy that is emerging today, right? One of them is that all of this is bad and the person who has initiated this event is therefore bad, and that would be Vladimir Putin. And we may come to think that that's true or partially true at some point. But the other way to think that the events of today and last night, if you're in the U.S., are tragic to understand them as something that simply did not have to happen. Okay. And the distinction between those two options matters a lot when you're trying to assign responsibility and potentially guilt to the tragedy that is unfolding. Donald Trump said on Laura Ingram last night, that none of this would have happened if he had been president. And I think that that is abundantly clear at this point. If anyone doubts that, that person must be a child-brained communist who only follows the central narrative. There is no other way to see that situation. Donald Trump did not engage America in 
many foreign conflicts at all. He certainly didn't initiate any foreign wars, and he certainly did not provide the environment where things like this could happen. Joe Biden has done that. Joe Biden is the weakest, one of the weakest world leaders in history. Surely that is what the history books will write. And that is a result of his illegitimacy. When you steal elections, this sort of thing can happen. Joe Biden should not be in a position to have any influence on the events that are unfolding. And on some level, he almost definitely does not have any influence on the events that are unfolding. And this is the sort of thing that American voters could have and should have anticipated in the run up to the 2020 election. I think we'll find when the truth does fully come out, the truth is already apparent, but when the truth does fully come out, I think we will find that American voters did realize that and did not at all vote to make Joe Biden the president. But certainly some Americans did, and those Americans bear the responsibility for what is happening now. Not only did they go and choose that this is the leadership they want the U.S. to have in the world right now. They also turned a blind eye to every claim of election fraud, including the ones that were brought up well before the election by people who were following events and understood with clarity and certainty that an apparatus was being built to allow the theft of that election through mail-in ballots, through doing away with local precincts and instead creating these giant voting centers through the use of election fraud machines, through ballot harvesting, through the manipulation of voter registration databases, through Mark Zuckerberg's 300 or 400 or 500 million dollars that were injected through the Center for Tech and Civic Life into the election, through the complicit media that lied about every relevant issue involved in the election through big tech who censored legitimate information and legitimate voices and who censored the Hunter Biden laptop claiming it was Russian disinformation through the 50 former intelligence officials who signed on to a letter claiming that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. It was not. It was Hunter Biden's laptop. So while all of the world's wokes choose the side of the global communist world order, the side of the media, the side of propaganda, the side of corruption, the side of censorship, we can be clear about the fact that this is their fault. This is their doing. These are our family members at times, our friends at times, and certainly our neighbors. They chose this. This did not have to happen and would not have happened if Donald Trump was in office. Now, you might think that Putin would want to do this either way. Well, then that would hinge on what he's actually doing. Okay. So is there a chance that Putin is describing his goals realistically and honestly? Well, yeah, there's a chance. There's also a chance he's lying for certain. And I don't think anybody like me or the people who might share my interpretation of events would be saying that we just trust Vladimir Putin. That's clearly not the case. But we also don't trust the world leaders, the talking heads on television who 
sided completely in lockstep with the covid narrative that has destroyed societies across the globe intentionally with a virus that was created intentionally by the very same people that have told us what the script was for handling the virus and the very same people who created the vaccine. Those same people enabled the theft of an American election. They covered it up and then they censored it with the help of big tech. My default when any of those institutions are speaking at me, speaking at the public, propagandizing us, telling us what we must believe or we're traitors, my default on all of that is to assume that what they're saying is wrong and is a lie and that they are trying to manipulate the public intentionally in service of their larger goals. Likewise, when the talking heads on television and the world leaders and all those associated with them are telling the public what they believe must be censored when they are communicating to the big tech companies about what must be censored. My default is to believe that the thing that they are censoring is likely true because this is the information war they're trying to wage. There's no point in censoring things that can be easily proven false. And if they could prove those things false that they are censoring, they would be better served to simply do that. They could just produce the evidence and their evidence would be compelling. It would map onto reality and people would understand. They would reject the disinformation unless the person spreading the disinformation could continually prove their case and win in the market of ideas. But that's not what they do. They censor because the information is damaging to their goals. Understanding that these institutions have it as one of their goals to make sure that we are being told the wrong stories about all of the most important issues in the entire world. The logical thing to do is to understand that some opposing version of what they're saying is therefore likely true, which doesn't mean you know exactly which opposing version is true, but you can pretty well be sure that if you are crossing what they're saying off the list and understanding what the opposing views of what they're saying could be, then you're off to a pretty good start. I'm under no illusion that I have the ability to be right all the time, particularly not in the moment when a situation so large and so complex and so important is happening in real time. And this is part of why I try to focus on narrative shifts and the overall arc of the narrative and why I try to focus on the big picture. If you listen to this show, you have at least some sense that I have a vision of what's happening in the world. I have a position I have taken and inhabited about what I think is going on in the world in the bigger picture. And using that as some rough guide, some rough map, I can try to figure out whether or not the events we're seeing in the world 
actually map onto that. And if they do, then there has to be some reality there. There has to be some connection in the real world. And applying knowledge that way is my process. That's what would allow me to confidently say, hey, masks don't work. Lockdowns don't work. There was no time at which those mitigation strategies for COVID were ever going to become more effective because they couldn't become more effective. We were told that they were the best possible solution, even though there was nothing to back them as solutions in the first place. So how could we possibly ever think they're the best? And if we're being told that they're the best with no reason to believe it whatsoever, then you have to assume that the people are lying intentionally and As the situation develops, you can see that those narrative pieces begin to fall away over the course of time, not only proving that the initial claims were wrong, but that the people making the claims were either lying or incompetent. And part of that arc, part of the map that I see is the battle between global communists and world leaders who support the global communist world order, trying to shut down any leader around the world who cares about their own national sovereignty and the good of their nation that they lead more than they care about the global communist agenda and the global communist world order, which is the priority, the set of priorities given to us by people like Klaus Schwab and like the rest of those who imagine that they are laying out and determining the course of the entire future of humanity. And if you didn't listen to the episode yesterday, I would encourage you to listen to that episode because I tried at least to construct a broad picture of what the global communist agenda actually is and prove that that agenda they are actually trying to implement it. So in that picture, it doesn't actually matter in some sense whether Putin is a good guy or a bad guy. That's not really the dichotomy I care about. I care about whether or not he's aligned with the global communist agenda or whether he's simply trying to be the leader of a sovereign nation that is not interested in the global communist agenda and is resisting it at all costs. Whenever the global communists run up against a leader like that, they attempt to destroy that leader, not only in terms of their public image, but in their ability to operate within the world economy and the global power structure. And they tried to do exactly that to Donald Trump. They tried to destroy Donald Trump in every way imaginable because Donald Trump's stated priority, and there's more than enough proof in the world from his four years as the publicly agreed upon president and the last year plus of whatever is happening while the fake president pretends to be the real president. There's enough proof there to understand that Donald Trump's stated goal of putting America first, looking out for America's people over the rest of the world, certainly over the global communist agenda, that his stated goal actually is what he cares about. Okay. We should expect 
that other sovereign leaders around the world in that Trump style do legitimately care about the good of their nation and the sovereignty of their nation. And that's why the same global communists in league with the media and big tech censors try to destroy them. We see that with Viktor Orban, for instance. And there is ample reason to believe that Donald Trump was actually able to get on the same page with a bunch of these uh, sovereign nationalists, let's call them. I will probably think of a better way to describe that, and I'm sure there's probably issues with that description. But for now, sovereign nationalists, right? You got Putin and Bolsonaro and Orban and perhaps Modi in India, potentially Abe in Japan, the leaders of North and South Korea that he brought together. Donald Trump crossed through the demilitarized zone. Trump crossed the line of demarcation between North and South. And he seemed to have a reasonably stable relationship with Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia. He created historic peace deals in the Middle East. And so there's at least some indication there that a great many leaders around the world who seem to care about the sovereignty of their nations as opposed to joining the global communist world order, that they may be on the same page. And if Putin is on that page, then it should change the way we see the situation in Ukraine as it evolves. And there is nothing about this perspective in any way that makes one pro-Putin, pro-Russian, anti-American, anti-Ukraine, anti-Europe. But those claims will be made regardless because those claims help their narrative and help their goals. And that's why they make them. It's no different than the punishment they dish out if you say correctly that Black Lives Matter Antifa is a well-funded, foreign-funded, well-organized campaign of domestic terrorism and civil unrest, which doesn't in any way mean that you think black lives don't matter. I think even the term black lives is ridiculous. The lives of black Americans matter. I don't need to say Black Lives Matter or support the organization Black Lives Matter to understand that the lives of black Americans matter. I actually believe that not like the Democrat politicians that continually destroy urban communities with high densities of black Americans. I'm not the one who encourages stealing their votes so that I can install more communists in the system of power. I believe that the lives of black Americans matter to the extent that they can have freedom and self-determination and try to make better lives for themselves and their families. But to say that would get me called racist by some of the stupidest people on earth. And eventually you just have to accept that, right? My goal here is not to say enough safe things that I can gather followers. I'm not Mike Cernovich. My goal is to say, wow, this is an extraordinarily complex situation we're looking at. This is how I see it. 
And someone will tell me I'm wrong about this or that. And I'll think about it. And they might be right. I might be right. If they're right, I'll change my opinion and I'll get more information and move to a new evolution of my belief. And there's nothing wrong with that. The situation is developing too quickly to be right about it all the time. But one way not to be right about it ever is to repeat the things that you hear on the television. And to be clear, I'm not saying that no truth comes out of the people on television, particularly on Fox. They have some good guests on Fox. They have one good host, actually two good hosts on Fox. They have Jesse Waters and Tucker Carlson. Both of them do a pretty good job. I think Jesse Waters is probably doing the best job right now, but neither of them have really gone hard after election fraud. So where does that leave us? But in Fox News's normal programming, they'll have people like General Keith Kellogg on. And I'm certainly not lumping Keith Kellogg in with Brett Baer and Neil Cavuto. But I'm also not going to confine my thinking to what the mainstream media or the tech companies think is appropriate. I'm not going to do that ever. I would rather be as honest and truthful as I can while trying to analyze a situation than ever simply repeat what's on the television. And then when I'm wrong, because they led me intentionally to be wrong, think, oh, yeah, but everybody else was wrong, too. No. Not everybody else was wrong. And we're going to see that happening a lot over the next few months as these situations continue to evolve. The COVID narrative has almost completely collapsed. They're still trying to keep it alive just so that people can get out. All the people who have been wrong for two years are trying to find lifeboats so that they can preserve their reputations after being wrong for two years, after repeating all the positions on television, all those very safe positions. And we're going to see that escalated times a 100 when it comes to election fraud. These people chose not to look for the evidence. They chose to say the easy things. Ooh, sometimes they're going to get a bit edgy. Oh, They're going to say some position that makes the both sides a a little bit mad. Well, how brilliant. I'm not into that. I've never been into that and I never will be into that. So with all of that in mind, there was a thread that was posted on Twitter last night by an account called War Clandestine and the thread and the account have now been taken down by Twitter. And there's a pretty good reason why they would want to censor what he said. Because what he said, if it's true, would be incredibly damaging to the narrative that they're trying to spin. It would be damaging to the goals of the global communist world order. And as I said, my default is to think that if they are censoring something like this, They are doing it for a reason. And it's not because it's disinformation. Do I know it's 100% true? Absolutely not. And I would not say that. But the fact that they're censoring it at least makes it relevant to know what they're censoring. And so I'm going to share it with you. He starts out. Holy shit. I think I may be onto something about Ukraine. Zelensky said the Russians are firing at, quote, military installations. Now, that's Zelensky saying that the president of Ukraine. Okay, that's not Putin saying that. That's Zelensky saying that. Now, Putin, of course, no matter where he's targeting, is going to say that he's targeting strategic military 
targets. He's not going to say he's targeting the apartment buildings of old ladies. And while considering that, think about how many times over the years we have always been told the bad guys are targeting schools. Think about the emotional impact of that. And think about how convincing us that that's what's happening might help their agenda. So Zelensky said the Russians are firing at military installations. How broad is that term? I am seeing speculation that could include U.S. installed biolabs. At first, I was like, no way. Then I started digging. And he shows a map of the biolab locations throughout Ukraine and notes that the biolabs are financed at the expense of the U.S. Department of Defense. The laboratories are located in Odessa, Vinitsia, Uzgorod, Lviv. I hope I'm saying these right. I'm probably not. That's fine. Kiev, Kherson, Ternopil, and near Crimea and Luhansk. Two other possible locations, Kharkiv and Mykolaiv. And by the way, just as a tangent, isn't it strange that the entirety of the state media has tried to change the pronunciation of Kiev into Kiev? They just decided that the place is called Kiev now. Why are they doing that, by the way? And not to go too esoteric here, but I suspect they might be doing it so that they can convince the child brains in their audience that they should not listen to anyone who says Kiev, because that's no longer the correct pronunciation. And if you don't know the correct pronunciation of Kiev, then your opinion on what's happening in Ukraine can be immediately invalidated. That is one of the ways they consistently use language to distort our ability to communicate and understand one another. And these are the same people, by the way, who believe that Ebonics should be taught in schools. And if you are not my age or older, you may not remember the Ebonics craze from, I think, the early to mid 90s. But they're the same people who think Ebonics should be taught in school, but will also grammar or spell check you online if they can't actually answer your posts. They will say, oh, well, you're you're too stupid to even have a point because you didn't spell this the right way. And I do think that spelling and grammar are important. They're just not more important than the point someone's making, and they are not a good reason to immediately dismiss someone in a conversation. But I suspect that may be the manipulation that's occurring with the new pronunciation of Kiev. Back to the thread. First, I checked if the U.S. even had biolabs in Ukraine. Turns out we do. And in classic U.S. fashion, it's marketed as defense. Biological Threat Reduction Program in Ukraine. And he posts a document from the U.S. Embassy and says they are studying the, quote, most dangerous viruses in the world, end quote, at Russia's border. Okay, so we are studying the world's most deadly pathogens at Russia's border. It's just for defense. Not that big of a deal, right? Wrong. 
I didn't know this until today, but Russia has been accusing the U.S. of creating bioweapons at their border. And he links to a Newsweek article where the headline reads, Vladimir Putin's advisor says U.S. is developing biological weapons near the Russian border. And they have good reason to believe that as the U.S. NIH funded gain of function in Wuhan, then COVID-19 got out and it ruined the world. Russia and China asked the U.N. for the U.S. and its allies to be, quote, checked and limited in bio capabilities four months ago. And he posts a link to another article where the headline is China, Russia, ask U.N. to check biological warfare strength of U.S. and allies. And the thread continues. Do you all know what this means? China and Russia indirectly and correctly blamed the U.S. for the COVID-19 outbreak and are fearful that the U.S. and allies have more viruses, bioweapons to let out. Now, again, that is a very bold claim. Okay, may or may not be true. It's just information among other information, something to think about, something to keep in your head and see if this claim maps onto reality as the reality emerges. This is massive, yet I'm disturbed that I didn't know about this four months ago. So how does that pertain to Ukraine? Well, where in Ukraine are the explosions taking place? Here's a reported explosion in Lutsk. This is 75 miles inland in far western Ukraine, the opposite border of Russia. What does this have to do with Crimea and Donetsk in the east? Reportedly, Kiev has seen missile strikes as well at their airports and military installations. Kiev is also on the western side of Ukraine, also a city the U.S. government have confirmed the U.S. have built biolabs in. Putin also continues to call it a, quote, special military operation. He says he wants to demilitarize and denazify the country, but not occupy it. What does he mean by that? What is he really targeting? Now, demilitarize has a pretty clear meaning. They don't want Ukraine to activate military forces in opposition. And if it turns out to be true that Putin does not wish to occupy the territory, then saying that Putin is trying to take over Ukraine is already inaccurate at best. And that is what we are being told by the media, and by the corrupt communists in our government, like Joe Biden. Joe Biden came out and in the first line of his speech, he lied and said that Vladimir Putin is attacking the people of Ukraine. There is no indication that he is attacking the people of Ukraine, attacking military installations and military targets, strategic targets in Ukraine is entirely different than attacking the people of Ukraine. And as I said, Vladimir Putin's goals may emerge in some form over time, but right now they're not completely clear. We have what he states to be his goals, and we have information about what the global communists are saying Vladimir Putin's goals are. And Putin may be telling the truth, or the truth may be somewhere in the middle, but it's highly unlikely 
that the global communists are telling the truth because they lie all the time to advance their own goals. And maybe Vladimir Putin does as well. We'll have to see. But to say that he is denazifying Ukraine, now that is a very interesting claim. Okay, so there is the World War II history of Nazi activity in Ukraine, and they also have something called the Azov Battalion in Ukraine. And a week ago in the National Pulse, Rahim Kassam published this. Western media is literally peddling neo-Nazi propaganda to prompt war between Russia and Ukraine. Western media outlets have been peddling military training imagery featuring 79-year-old Valentina Konstantinovska, a.k.a. Granny Valentina, amidst the consistent pro-war coverage of Ukraine and Russia. Now it has emerged. The images of the elderly lady in training were actually organized by the nation's avowedly neo-Nazi paramilitary, the Azov Battalion. Konstantinovska featured on the front pages of a number of Western newspapers in the past week, including the Financial Times, the Times, the Daily Telegraph, and the Independent, all UK-based papers or news sites. The saber-rattling stories have also hit Israel's Haaretz, America's Fox News, and the Irish Times. The photographs and media released over the past week show the senior citizen, amongst others, undergoing weapons and first aid training in this city, of Mariupol, I hope I'm saying that right, in southeast Ukraine. The event appears to have been organized and promoted by the Azov Battalion, which formed in 2014 as a volunteer paramilitary organization before integrating into Ukraine's formal military forces. In late 2021, the Biden regime proposed sending upwards of $300 million to Ukraine's military, potentially aiding the Azov Battalion. A spokesperson for the group has attempted to dissuade American politicians from stopping funding for the entity, claiming that only one in five of the unit's members are actual neo-Nazis. Their efforts, especially with the Biden regime, appear to have paid off. In the middle of the coverage of the group's training propaganda was NBC News's chief foreign correspondent, Richard Engel. Engel actively promoted the stunt, interviewing the 79-year-old Granny Valentina as she learned to use an AK-47. If Putin comes, I should be able to shoot. The threat is very serious. I think every person in our country should be able to shoot from the window or on the street if the enemy comes, she told media outlets, further normalizing the threat of war between Ukraine and Russian forces. ABC 7 in New York also covered the story under the banner. Ukraine's special forces offer training to civilians. In a video posted to Twitter, the Nazi insignia of the group is clearly visible on the right arm of the soldier training a Ukrainian child. Other videos surfaced of the training, including one captioned, The Azov Regiment explains to the people of Mariupol how to avoid danger. Again, the Wolf's Angle insignia popularized by the Nazi party in Germany during the Second World War is clear on the uniforms of those performing the training. Czech media reports and Twitter users alike have argued that the training is part of an ongoing propaganda campaign by the battalion, which is keen to stoke war for its own benefit. 
The Guardian reported that the Azov Battalion has been fighting Russian separatists for at least seven years, calling them the most potent and reliable force on the battlefield against separatists. Now, again, the separatists are the groups of people in Eastern in parts of Ukraine, but specifically to this issue in Eastern Ukraine that Vladimir Putin has now recognized as independent republics. They are people who do not want to be part of Ukraine and largely Russian speaking. And again, I'm not saying that everyone in those regions agrees with that motivation. Okay. It's fascinating, as they say, how an Azov Nazi granny propaganda photo op managed to slip past the vast billion-dollar network of U.S.-U.K. disinformation-fighting NGOs, media fact-checkers, online Nazi hunters, Bellingcats, etc., all supposedly set up to protect us from exactly this. War podcaster Mark Ames tweeted, In 2013, then-Senator John McCain, no name, posed alongside neo-Nazis in his failed efforts to saber-rattle for war against Russia while forcing Ukraine into the European Union. The European Union's influence waned in the Brexit years that followed, deferring their imperialist intentions for nearly a decade. The news represents the latest infiltration of propaganda to Western media by a foreign group. The Chinese Communist Party has consistently worked their influence into Western media with a long list of outlets participating in Chinese propaganda events. So we know of Nazi activity in Ukraine from World War II, and we know that there is a battalion loyal to Ukraine, part of the Ukrainian army, part of its National Guard, that is at least 20% avowedly and openly neo-Nazi. And their uniforms bear the insignia of the same. So is there a way that it's possible that one of Vladimir Putin's goals in this military operation in Ukraine is indeed denazification? This would point to that potentially being true. And you might be inclined to say, well, that's the National Pulse. They're an outlet on the right. We can't just take their word for it that there are active Nazis in Ukraine being supported by the global communist world order and then broadcast to the world through NBC News and other mainstream outlets. So let's see if the left might agree. And it turns out this article is from January 15th of this year in the communist rag Jacobin. The headline is. The CIA may be breeding Nazi terror in Ukraine. The CIA has been secretly training anti-Russian groups in Ukraine since 2015. Everything we know points to the likelihood that includes neo-Nazis inspiring far-right terrorists around the world. And isn't that amazing how they always pull that? Neo-Nazis are just automatically far-right. And they have to be because, well, Jacobin is far-left. And they're the good guys in their minds. And the far left is good in their minds. Nazis are bad, always. So that must make the Nazis far right. Except the Nazis were a nationalist socialist party. And they are a collectivist ideology. But they're also somehow socialist. And people call them fascist. And we're told fascist is also far right. 
But fascist is also a collective ideology, and we see fascism in the world right now. We see the joining of corporations and the state. In America, that's referred to as a public-private partnership. The Chinese Communist Party refers to their version as state capitalism. Klaus Schwab calls it stakeholder capitalism. These are all collectivist ideologies and they are all aligned with the global communist agenda. None of them are far right. They are all far left. But the communists at Jacobin don't want to associate themselves with these ideologies, even though they are definitionally associated with them. So they call them far right. But let's see what they have to say. The U.S. government has a well-documented history of backing extremist groups as part of a panoply of foreign policy misadventures, which inevitably end up blowing up in the American public's face. In the 1960s, the CIA worked with Cuban anti-Fidel Castro radicals who turned Miami into a hub of terrorist violence. In the 1980s, the agency supported and encouraged Islamic radicals converging in Afghanistan, who would go on to orchestrate the September 11th attack. And in the 2010s, Washington backed Syria's not-so-moderate rebels, who ended up cutting a swath of atrocities through civilians and the Kurdish forces that were meant to be U.S. allies. Based on a new report, it looks like we may soon be able to add another to that list of fatally unlearned lessons, Ukrainian neo-Nazis. According to a recent Yahoo News report, since 2015, the CIA has been secretly training forces in Ukraine to serve as insurgent leaders. In the words of one former intelligence official, in case Russia ends up invading the country. Current officials are claiming the training is purely for intelligence collection, but the former officials Yahoo spoke to said the program involved training in firearms, cover and move, and camouflage, among other things. Given the facts, there's a good chance that the CIA is training actual, literal Nazis as part of this effort. The year the program started, 2015, also happened to be the same year that Congress passed a spending bill that featured hundreds of millions of dollars worth of economic and military support for Ukraine, one that was expressly modified to allow that support to flow to the country's resident neo-Nazi militia, the Azov Regiment. According to The Nation at the time, the text of the bill passed in the middle of that year featured an amendment explicitly barring, quote, arms, training and other assistance to Azov. But the House committee in charge of the bill was pressured by the Pentagon months later to remove the language, falsely telling them it was redundant. Despite sometimes open acknowledgement of its Nazism, its former commander once said the historic mission of Ukraine is to, quote, lead the white races of the world in a final crusade for their survival in a crusade against the Semite-led Untermenschen. Azov was incorporated into the country's National Guard in 2014, owing to its effectiveness in fighting Russian separatists. U.S. arms have flowed to the militia. NATO and U.S. military officials have been pictured meeting with them, and members of the militia have talked about their work with U.S. trainers and the lack of background screening to weed out white supremacists. Given all this, it would be more of a surprise that the neo-Nazis of Azov haven't been trained in the CIA's clandestine make an insurgency program, and we're already seeing the early signs of blowback. 
And the article goes on. It's quite a bit longer. Read it if you like. I have posted it in the info stream, t.me slash I'm your moderator. Now, last night on Tucker Carlson, he referred to Ukraine as a client state of the U.S. State Department. The U.S. State Department has been, in some sense, reshaped as the bureaucratic deep state arm of the American government's alignment with the global communist world order. And in that, they work hand in hand with the CIA. If the CIA is sponsoring and training a neo-Nazi militia in Ukraine and Nazis have been present in Ukraine since World War II, what does that tell you about what's going on in Ukraine? What does that tell you about Nazis in the modern day? And what does that tell you about the truth or falsity of Putin's statement that he means to denazify Ukraine? If by denazify, he means dealing with this particular battalion and the CIA's influence in Ukraine as a militant arm of the global communist world order, then he may actually be stating his goal in an honest fashion. And we're going to have to wait and see if that's true. It's hard to be certain about something like that. And I understand that it is a bold claim. But as we've discussed before, and yesterday in particular, Klaus Schwab's agenda is a mirror image of the Nazi agenda. His quest for global domination is a mirror image of what we saw in World War II. So to the extent that this Nazi battalion is real, and it certainly seems to be, to the extent that it is supported by the CIA and other corrupt elements of the American deep state, in league with the global communist world order, then is the claim true that factions in our country and in our government are genuinely supporting a Nazi movement? And it turns out that factions in our government and factions in our culture and society were supporting the real Nazi movement in World War II. And it turns out that the bloodlines have descended and those people are still in power. And still on that side. Is that a conspiracy theory? Well, a better question to ask is, does that interpretation map onto reality? And if the answer is no, it's not an easy, immediate no. George Soros is on film talking about how he helped the Nazis find the Jews in his own community to load onto the trains. He said it on 60 Minutes. Justin Trudeau is Fidel Castro's son. He was a communist dictator. Christia Friedland, who's his deputy prime minister, her grandfather was a Nazi newspaper man. Captains of industry in America were associated with Nazis. The Bush family is associated with Nazis. And somehow all sorts of American, powerful American politicians from Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation to Barack Obama to John Kerry to Joe Biden have corrupt business dealings in Ukraine. So the notion can't simply be written off. And I have used the term Nazism to describe many elements of what we are seeing in our own culture 
as commanded by the global communist order. The censorship, the medical experimentation, including on infants by force, the imprisoning of political dissidents without charges or trials, the rampant extraction of the finances of the people of this country so that they can be laundered in service of enriching the people who are carrying out this grand plan. And the Great Reset Agenda itself is the imposition of all of this on all of the countries of the world. And I imagine in some way they believe this is some kind of final solution. And perhaps it would be with the tracking and control over everything everyone does. The social credit scores, the segregation of people, the prevention of certain individuals from being able to participate in society to the point of even being able to buy food or fuel. I would rather point all of this out than assume the position that this is just too extreme to say, therefore, I won't say it. Therefore, we'll just allow it to continue. So Joe Biden walked out to address the nation. He says that Putin is very, very bad and he's doing very, very bad things. He's attacking the people of Ukraine. He's going to face consequences like the world has never seen. Joe Biden actually said today, a real quote, no one believed that the sanctions would stop Putin. He said that. And then a few minutes later, he was asked the question by Caitlin Collins of CNN, who is a complete and total hack. She asked him a question about the effectiveness of those sanctions. And he responded, I didn't say the sanctions wouldn't stop him. So he's basically trying to inhabit both of the positions and certainly his administration, certainly Jen Psaki has said that they believe the sanctions will have a deterrent effect on Putin's choices. They didn't. Clearly, they haven't at all. Biden's going to impose more sanctions, but he's also said that no one believes the sanctions would stop him, which means that he's saying he knew the sanctions would be ineffective. Now, he knows the sanctions are going to hurt Americans in terms of gas prices and other energy prices and plenty of other things because fuel and energy influence the prices of everything we buy. So the sanctions won't work to stop Putin. The sanctions will work to harm Americans. But also, he's not saying that the sanctions won't stop Putin. And this is the sort of thing that happens when an illegitimate president that the people did not elect is pretending to be president. In his speech from yesterday, Putin said that if the U.S. or its allies or NATO or whoever tried to interfere with the operation he's conducting, they would be met with consequences the likes of which they have never seen. And people have speculated that perhaps he's talking about a nuclear strike. I tend to think that's not true, but I guess we'll find out. Biden was asked about that threat and whether or not he thought that Vladimir Putin was threatening a nuclear strike. And Biden said, I have no idea what he's threatening. I know what he's done. So once again, congratulations, commies, for 
giving some substance to the idea that Joe Biden was actually elected president of the United States of America and that he was the most popular candidate of all time. He received 81 million real legal American votes. Sure, he did. Now, a month or so ago, Biden went out and gave his really great press conference, and he said, essentially, that Putin could launch a minor incursion, and that wouldn't trigger a military response. And he has said many times since then, and so has Jen Psaki, that the U.S. military will not be going to war with Russia. He continues to move soldiers around and through Europe as some sort of deterrence, but that hasn't seemed to work at all. And in his question and answer portion of today's speech, it's hard to call what Biden does a speech, but in the question and answer portion, Biden basically took the idea of removing Russia from the SWIFT system off the table because he said their European allies weren't on board with it. So what threats does he have left to make? It doesn't seem like the financial threats are threats at all. It doesn't seem like Putin cares. And if that is the only card the fake administration and the European allies have to play, and Putin has actually fortified himself against the playing of that card, then those aren't threats at all. All they're doing is messing up the world's uh, economic infrastructure. Joe Biden is absolutely feckless. He is absolutely incompetent. And the truth is, whoever is actually making these decisions for him that he mumbles and stutters out to the American public before turning his back and meandering his way back to bed in the afternoon. Well, they're completely incompetent, too. And in regard to the discussion yesterday, it may well be true that the Great Reset agenda itself is already a plan B. They shouldn't have to just switch everything around so their system can still work. Their system is failing on every level. And specifically, I'm talking about the central banking system. And if they need to launch a pandemic to put their new system into place because their old system is failing, and they're already on plan B or plan C or plan Z. And it seems more every day like they are. Then we go back to the concept of incompetence and narcissism. These people believe they are becoming gods, but they can't do anything right. And they are getting shown to be fools on the world stage right now with everyone watching. And before I go changing subjects without a segue, there has been a really interesting and fascinating development on the Truth Social app. And that is the emergence of an account that goes simply by Q. That Q account, people have discovered, was created on February 9th before the CEO, Devin Nunes, and President Donald Trump actually made their accounts, if I'm getting that right. And Yesterday, Q posted something, the account at Q posted something about Chernobyl. Well, the Russian military seems to have just taken over the Chernobyl facility in Ukraine. So that's interesting. 
But the CEO of Truth Social, Devin Nunes, responded to that post and wrote, who is Q? Now, to be clear, we cannot know who Q was originally. Could be one person, could be a group of people, could be military intelligence, could be a complete and total hoax. Right, guys? Could be completely fake. And so this new at Q account on Truth Social may be whoever the original Q was, or it may not be. We don't know either of those two things. But nonetheless, the account at Q on Truth Social exists, and it has now been interacted with by the CEO, Devin Nunes. And the Q account has existed since the very beginning of Truth Social. Now, one could imagine that as the CEO of a social media platform, Devin Nunes could potentially find out who is attached to that account. But he is asking publicly, who is Q? Now, the entire thing could be one magnificent trolling operation. That is totally possible. But even as a magnificent trolling operation, this is still significant because Devin Nunes interacting with it means it can't be simply ignored by the media. And if the media begins to ask who Q is on Truth Social, they are going to get themselves into a conversation they want absolutely nothing to do with. Are they going to start covering it and saying that this Q is fake or a conspiracy theory or something? Well, what would that even mean? Why would anybody believe them when they say that? It's just an account on a social media platform. But it's also entirely possible that the Q on the Truth Social platform could verify or confirm somehow that it's the same Q from 4chan and then 8chan and then 8kun. And if that's confirmed, well, then Q exists again and Q is posting again. And if they can't take down Truth Social, then what are they going to do? How are they going to deny the existence of Q at that point? And again, I am agnostic about all of this. It is information among other information. I am telling you that this could potentially happen. And the media's coverage of it alone is an event in itself, apart from whether or not the Q account is Q. And if the Q account does confirm to be the same Q, then the interest in that Q account and in Q broadly is going to increase no matter what. Just the curiosity and the desire for discovery will make it a significant event. And then you would have to understand this as a phenomenon that the media cannot ignore as it grows. Okay, the comfort with the idea of the Q thing broadly has only increased since Q stopped posting and since Joe Biden was named fake president. And with that increased attention, what is the media? What are the big tech companies? What are the global communists going to do to shut that down? Well, there's nothing they can do to shut it down. Maybe they can turn off the Internet Maybe there is some server issue or some way that they can shut down the truth social platform. Maybe they can take it out of the Apple store. Those are possibilities, I guess. But those are all possibilities that the people running truth social must have planned for. 
It's not an accident that this account is on the platform, and it's not an accident that Devin Nunes interacted with the account. So it's unlikely that they can take the platform offline, but maybe, maybe they just take the internet offline altogether. They certainly can't decide who gets banned on Truth Social. They have no power to do that whatsoever, and they have no power to stop that account from posting. It wouldn't seem. So what happens then? And just for fun, imagine what would happen if somehow this Q account confirms to be the Q and that Q starts posting legitimate Q proofs in real time. What if people do sign on to the idea that all of this is legit and all of it has been legit the whole time? Well, there's not a whole lot that could hurt the global communist agenda more than that. And there's not a whole lot that could hurt the child brains more than that. That's what they think they're so right about. All of these no-no people, all the bad people, they think Q matters, so they're stupid. They think Donald Trump was a good president, so they're racist. What else do they have? They are wrong about everything all the time, but they still get to hold on to those little tiny nuggets. Those make them feel safe in their position. What happens if that all goes away? And then, just for fun, imagine that that Truth Social account, that Q account, tweets out, my fellow Americans, the storm is upon us. It's very, very possible, very possible, just a thought experiment here, but it is very possible that the fake president of the United States, Joe Biden, through the at POTUS Twitter account, could address that post from his own Twitter. Which would mean that the Ad POTUS Twitter account has, in some sense, tweeted out, my fellow Americans, the storm is upon us. And again, just a thought experiment, but the child brains would spin out into nothingness. The communists would lose their mind. That would cause a mental breakdown on a massive scale. These communists better hope that they can get everyone into the metaverse before any of this happens. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, download the Telegram Messenger app and go to t.me slash I'm Your Moderator. I'm on Gab, Getter, Rumble, and BitChute at I'm Your Moderator. You can find my writing at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcotour.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the show financially, there is a crypto wallet address in the episode description or go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator, ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you again soon out on the ring.
Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's high noon! In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel-couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm Your Moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon, down on the range. It's hell!